talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie-by-movie and television series-by-television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., a pilot for 20th Century Fox from May 1998. Technically, this places it somewhere between the hand filing to change the ownership of Sherwin Holdings and Luke Cage's 18th birthday, and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I'm Tim Worthington, and we're finding out what I thought of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is quiz expert David Smith. David, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitch at DVD Smith, where I like to play through lots of Marvel video games. And you can find me on Twitter, plugging my Twitch streams of those Marvel video games. OK, so before we go any further, David, what happens to Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? So this is a TV pilot, as you mentioned, starring David Hasselhoff, he of... Of dancing in the credits of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 fame as Colonel Nick Fury, who is someone who has been either exiled from S.H.I.E.L.D. or possibly just left S.H.I.E.L.D., I can't remember. He's joined by his on and off lover, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, who is being played from the looks of things by a mix of Joan Jett and Claudia Winkleman. And he's recruited back into S.H.I.E.L.D. because the children of Baron von Strucker have decided to try and release a deadly virus because everything that we watch these days has got to be a deadly virus, apparently. And his children are, they look basically like budget TV versions of Xenia Onatop and Carl, the blonde terrorist from Die Hard. And yeah, David Hasselhoff's Nick Fury is tasked with trying to stop them from taking over the world and reanimating the frozen inanimate corpse of their father. And yeah, hijinks ensue. Okay, well, I've got a question that you're probably dreading in a minute. But before we get to that, I'm not going to ask you what you knew about Nick Fury before you saw this, given that, (laughs) you know, you've done three episodes on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D for us but how much did you know about Nick Fury before you very first saw that post credit scene at the end of Iron Man? I knew nothing at all. I didn't know who Nick Fury was. I didn't know what S.H.I.E.L.D. was. I barely knew what Marvel was if I'm honest. So the very first time I ever saw Nick Fury was it even in Iron Man or did I see Avengers first? No I must have watched Iron Man to watch Avengers but yeah as far as I knew like when I picture Nick Fury it's Sam Jackson. It's always been Sam Jackson so when I found out it was only a year or two ago that I found out that Nick Fury had actually been played on screen before and it's a great trivia question as well to say who played Nick Fury first so yeah the first time I saw him probably would have been at the end of Iron Man actually and I was going who on earth is this and what's an Avenger well it's the question that I know you're I'm not sure you're looking forward to but I'm just going to get on with it how does this compare to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean it doesn't have Fitz and Simmons in it so therefore inferior <laughs> I mean, just no further questions. This is 
it's weird. I watched it for the first time a couple of days ago and then I watched it again last night. And it's very late 90s. It's very sort of, it reminds me a lot of the Pierce Brosnan Bond films, particularly like Tomorrow Never Dies. The women in particular are all in full leather bodysuits for, you know, reasons best kept to themselves. And the dialogue is amazingly bad. It's written by the guy who went on to write a lot of, he wrote the Blade trilogy and he's done basically most of the DC films. He did Batman v Superman. He did Man of Steel. He's credited on his Wikipedia page with writing Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Although if you actually go and look at the articles for those, it turns out he provided the story and then Christopher Nolan wrote the script himself. But it seems like a lot of the films that he's written, the dialogue isn't the best. But the thing about Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, I actually quite enjoyed it. I would have actually, wouldn't have minded watching a sequel. I was laughing at some of the bits so much and we'll come on to them because some of them are just ludicrous beyond belief and it's incredible. But at the same time, I was like, I actually, yeah, in the same way that when you watch like, I mean, like David Hasselhoff is basically fulfilling the role of the sort of 90s action man. Like, I think you could put in Sylvester Stallone or Jean-Claude Van Damme or Bruce Willis or someone into this role and it would have been exactly the same. It's very much in the kind of like Demolition Man kind of thing. To me, comparing this with Sam Jackson's Nick Fury is like comparing Carl Urban's Judge Dredd with Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd. I think that's the best way I can sum it up. Well, it's interesting you mentioned David Goya, the writer, because I didn't know any of this until recently, because this wasn't something I paid that much attention to. I saw it, I think, on Channel 5 in the very late 90s, so not long after it had been on in America. The very fact it was on Channel 5 over here, for the benefit of anyone who's listening from overseas, that indicates it wasn't considered exactly at the top of the market. (laughs) But I watched it and I thought, that's basically just an action film with some names from Marvel in it. Thought it was alright, ignored it. So I hadn't paid it that much attention. When I looked into it, David Goyer actually wrote the script in 1986. So it was optioned at the same time as Howard the Duck, Red Sonja and The Punisher. And it was actually New World Entertainment who made the 1989 film of The Punisher that originally commissioned this. So were they looking at some kind of... I don't think they would have crossed Nick Fury over with The Punisher, but, you know, doing something with characters crossing over? Possibly at some point. But those three films, really badly received at the time. I think time has been kinder to them in odd ways than people would have expected. But this didn't get made then. It changed hands quite a lot. And it ended up with Fox in the mid-90s, by which time David Goyer was unavailable. Basically, he was under contract to NBC. He couldn't come back to it. And apparently, when he heard David Hasselhoff being cast, he was outraged. He thought that was the worst idea imaginable. He has said that when he watched it, the one thing he really liked about it was David Hasselhoff, who, in his view, was the only person involved who understood that he'd written it in that 80s tongue-in-cheek action thriller style. Yes. And that 90s style has been put on it since. I mean, one thing that really struck me watching it now the way Hydra are designed somebody had been to see Men in Black just before this was made <laughs> it's very yeah I mean the one that struck me particularly was Tomorrow Never Dies I don't know what it is about the kind of almost the bases are they're either in caves or like the helicarrier reminded me a lot of the submarine from the end of Tomorrow Never Dies it's almost like the industrial zone from the Crystal Maze you know there's a lot of staircases a lot of steam coming out of vents there's a lot of big walls of LEDs it felt like something a red dwarf to me. It did, yeah. There's lots of walls of LEDs with people with clipboards standing in front of them. It's a bit Doctor Evil at times. And yeah, it does seem like, I mean, obviously they had a TV budget, but David Hasselhoff completely understood the assignment here. And he is playing it sort of, it's really weird because Baywatch was still going at the time. So he's really good at the sort of tongue-in-cheek action star. Like some of the lines, some of his quips are, I mean, they're utterly hopeless. Like he captures Baron von Strucker's daughter and he looks over at the frozen von Strucker. (laughs) Ha ha ha! 
And he says, he's even uglier than I remember. Your frozen pop sickle. Get it? Your frozen pop sickle. And he actually delivers it in that kind of like gruff thing. And you can tell he's just having the best fun with it. Like he obviously, I don't know whether he ever thought it was going to go anywhere, whether he was just like taking a check or something like that. But he's the best thing about it, I would say. The other line that I love is after the villain escapes and she slowly descends into the floor. They've been gone about three seconds. So she's probably like six feet under the ground. And he goes, oh, she's probably halfway to China by now. And it's like, no, she's not. She's six feet under the ground. Just jump in after her, you idiot. I really enjoyed the one where on himself, said how stupid you think I am and Fury basically just fries his electric wheelchair and says I'm sorry what was the question <laughs> oh my god yeah Arnim Zola is in this it's it, it's weird sort of hearing the character names that we know from Captain America the Winter Soldier and things like that but the funniest death in the film is Arnim Zola and I don't think it was intended to be funny but we rewind a bit and talk about the gadgets there are two main gadgets in fact one of them is the funniest bit of the film for me entirely but the other one is at the beginning of the film when he's sent out on assignment he's given a gun that only he can fire because according to the scientist that gives it to him it's unique to Nick Fury's thermal signature now the same thing is done in Skyfall except it's James Bond's palm print that activates the gun so that no one else can fire it but Nick Fury's thermal signature so apparently in this universe the heat that emits from your palm is unique to the point where it can be used to lock a lethal weapon maybe it's like Cinderella's slipper where you know how she was the only woman in the whole land who had that particular shoe size maybe Nick Fury just has really really like hot and sweaty hands like no one else has ever had before to the point where they can go actually you know what we can give him a gun that only he can fire because he's got the geothermal power in his hands to fire this gun anyway that aside Arnim Zola tries to pick up the gun and in this film Arnim Zola is a very very old man in a wheelchair he is an old Nazi and he's still alive in 1998 he picks up Nick Fury's gun he tries to fire it the gun instead backfires shoots him like a taser and his wheelchair reverses itself at high speed just out of shot and off a ledge and the thing it reminded me of was do you remember whenever Paul Rudd used to go on Conan O'Brien and show the clip from Mac and Me of the the kid in the wheelchair The kid in the wheelchair falling off the side of a cliff and just going like into the... That's what it reminded me of. His wheelchair just disappears off the edge of the screen and he's just never heard from again. He's just... That's it. I laughed so hard at that. I could not get the Mac and Me clip out of my head. But you are right. Hearing these character names assigned to what are just generic 90s... It's not even really an action film. The whole plot is basically Hydra are trying to ransom, which Hydra don't do, the world or they'll set off this weapon basically the whole film is just a countdown clock yes but you get all these names like Alexander Pierce you know is the huge imposing secretly Hydra but head of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in this he's a weedy English guy who's kind of quite like Vision really forever offering to not quite sacrifice himself but resign because he's got things wrong it just doesn't tally at all the Von Struckers are really because even the daughter does kind of appear when they do the what if storyline the agents of shield they just don't tally with what you see in this film at all i mean alexander pierce is probably the biggest shock to the system because on one hand robert redford on the other hand boff from johnny english it's kind of he comes out with the best lines as well it's like they were trying to crowbar some biography into him so he comes out with lines like i was top of my class in advanced silent killing some guards come through a door and he goes well thank goodness i've been trained in hand-to-hand combat would you say that in that situation or would you go it's the bad guys let's run for it 
he's got a lot of just lines that are like, well, I have to do some exposition here now. It's kind of like Basil from Austin Powers, Basil Exposition. And then you get things like Dum Dum Dugan is basically done almost like a bored editor from a newspaper drama from the <laughs> mid-80s. Gabe Jones sort of appears and basically says hello and then isn't in it much more. <laughs> and they also, right at the beginning, they kill off, virtually off-screen, Clay Quatermain, who's one of the most interesting S.H.I.E.L.D. characters. Why would you use his name for a character that isn't even in it? Yeah, that was the very beginning. I, I could not believe, I can't even remember the lines that he has said, but he's basically got two lines in it and they are two of the worst acted lines <laughs> I have ever heard. He's basically sort of screaming his lines and I forgot to write them down because I was just looking at it and going, is that the quality that I've got to sit through for the next hour and a half? Because if they're all like that, I'm not sure I can do it. And I think he's actually the worst of the lot. And David Hasselhoff is much better. But yeah, that I just remember looking at that and thinking, wow, okay. Look, there's a lot going on right now. Why don't we just take a rain check on the heavy breathing here? You said the safe house is compromised. Who's the spy? Do I have your attention? (laughs) So much for the late, great Colonel Nick Fury. What have you done to me? You've been kissed with the kiss of death. Pleasant dreams, Fury. I told you her revenge was mine. And now, Zola will be too. I should just point out for anyone that's familiar with the comics, David Hasselhoff looks exactly like the comic Nick Fury. I do wonder if somebody had seen him and thought, let's buy that old script. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I have no issue with David Hasselhoff at all. I feel like David Hasselhoff was kind of let down by the rest of it because I feel like, I think he could have done pretty well as a Nick Fury. I mean, admittedly then, we probably wouldn't have got Sam Jackson. The first time we're introduced to him, though, is quite funny because he's living in this abandoned mine in Yukon in Canada and he is just hitting a random wall with a pickaxe for seemingly no reason whatsoever. Oh, yeah, there's so many moments with him. The best one, I love the fact that, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but when they're in Berlin, he's sitting in a car with Valentina. Again, I keep wanting to call her Vanessa. I have to force myself not to call her (laughs) Vanessa. There's a moment where he goes, Berlin, we had some good times here. And I'm thinking, is that a reference to the fact that David Hasselhoff is, like, beloved in Germany and helped bring down the wall? Like, did they put that in there just for him? Because there's no other reference to we had some good times in here. They never explained what the good times were. It has to be a reference to Hasselhoff mania. Although that was kind of, I was thinking about that for a couple of seconds. And then something happened afterwards, which is that Gail Runciter turns up, who is the Interpol inspector that they meet in Berlin. And they've clearly redubbed her lines with someone else's voice. And the lip syncing is awful. It looks like a Chinese Kung Fu movie that's been dubbed into English. Like none of the dialogue matches up with her mouth movements at all. I'm wondering 
whether they'd redubbed her with an English accent so that because she eventually is revealed to be Von Strucker's daughter in disguise but that was the sort of moment where I was like oh yeah this is a TV movie isn't it it really really is it's weird to think that it did have its basis in what would have been an actual feature film in the 80s but there's just something about this that just screams TV movie it's almost like apart from David Hasselhoff I don't think people are really giving it their all they're kind of almost thinking what could fill a couple of hours on the TV yeah the whole stylings of it it looks very kind of Top Gear stroke Robot Wars and if you yes. see the original VHS and DVD artwork you could mistake it for a Top Gear spin-off video where I don't know Nick Fury just goes and punches Jeremy Clarkson or something, <laughs> which I would pay good money to see let's bring Clarkson into the MCU just for that to happen <laughs> I'd forgotten about that but that yes I remember watching it and thinking this looks like the Robot Wars studio you know again because that's the kind of steampunky sort of style that it was all the rage in the late 90s and whether it's Hydra's base because Hydra's base has the sort of like the grandfather clock with the Roman numerals on the dials Von Strucker's sort of pod is like the crystal dome it is very very 90s the thing is you mentioned Hasselhoff punching that was one thing that I did think that he kind of didn't do as well on and I don't know whether it's because of the choreographer or if they even had a choreographer to be honest because some of the fight choreography in this is amazingly bad David Hasselhoff was 46 when he made this film but he takes punches like he's 100 I mean it reminds me of the DA's Robert De Niro from The Irishman where he looks like a 90 year old man in a 46 year old man's body which is surprising because Hasselhoff was still doing Baywatch at this point so it's not like he wasn't fit you know I mean admittedly I don't know how many Nazis he beat up in Baywatch there probably was an episode where a Nazi washed up (laughs) on the beach honestly particularly in Baywatch nights that is likely to have happened in all 12 seasons of it or whatever it was but the best moment right at the end he saved the world he comes back and the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. is there and he punches him in the face but when he punches the S.H.I.E.L.D. director it's the most obvious fake punch I have ever seen in anything some films would use creative camera angles to make it look like the punch had landed not Nick Fury agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. they literally put the camera over David Hasselhoff's shoulder and we watch as he throws the punch about two feet to the left of the guy's head it really undermines one of the better gags in the film as well which is that the director's reading off a list of charges to and he says you forgot one attempted grievous bodily harm yes and then does this ridiculous i'm not even going to call it a punch it's so far (laughs) from looking like one and then turns to the doctor and says how's that for diminished motor coordination two great lines and in between it's just ruined by this really badly i should say staged attempt at a punch yeah oh it goes back and forth between actually this is pretty good to wow this is the cheapest thing i've ever seen it's amazing it's kind of it's almost unique i want to watch it again and again it reminds me of batman and robin a bit which was the year before which is actually admittedly a film that i loved so much as a kid that i refused to watch it again for 20 years in case you know the glass shattered in front of my eyes but when you watch it again now you just laugh at it you laugh at the parts that didn't work it literally looks like someone bought the rights to the names of the characters and the organizations and basically wrote like a demolition man or a last action hero or something like that oh yeah i completely forgot about the other gadget i talked about the gun so much i completely forgot about the other gadget that completely just i couldn't believe when i saw it nick fury keeps a grenade in his eye socket that is literally mind-blowing you find out about it because of a storyline about a false false eye yeah which i did think that's ridiculous but i've got to hand it to them it's also genius but he's been carrying that 
round for like I mean there was no scene of him getting it at S.H.I.E.L.D. so has he been carrying that around in his head for years like what I want more story of that like he's been keeping a high explosive in his head under his eye patch I want more information come on this is why this is we need a sequel just to get these answers I want to see more of it even though some of it was so rubbish the one thing I was thinking that was a little bit unfortunate part of the final battle is they're dispersing this virus this virus is called Der Totenkopf which is the death's head which I actually I went and looked it up and it actually it's a real thing in World War II Der Totenkopf was a division of Nazis who were known for being particularly brutal and I'm thinking particularly brutal for Nazis jeez but also it's not named after the Marvel UK character then which I did wonder about for a second they're dispersing this virus and also it's a virus that Nick Fury has been infected with so he spends the second and third act of the film infected with this thing that is slowly debilitating him so he's doing all these fighting and things while sort of basically suffering from a fever and a virus but unfortunately they decide they want to disperse this virus over the island of Manhattan which means that there are a lot of shots of missiles being pointed at the World Trade Center which you know they weren't to know but yeah it's not great nowadays although the talk about dispersing the virus over Manhattan does lead to one of the other brilliant quotes from it which is sir I happen to know that area very well and the prevailing winds at this time of year (laughs) it's just Oh. Well, that's interesting that, you know, you've mentioned the 90s James Bond films it puts you in mind of, but the storyline, if anything, it made me think of A View to a Kill or something like The Fourth Protocol by Frederick Forsyth. It's a very mid-80s kind of late stage of the Cold War storyline. Yeah. They'd obviously not updated it since the original script. I was just left wondering how it would have worked if they had done it in the 80s, because they wouldn't have been afraid to, you know, give it that levity that it was written with, you know, because it's got the whole problem of as we said the tongue-in-cheek thing being in a very very serious setting where most people aren't even cracking a smile the storyline would have seen i don't know about more exciting but less cliched less hackneyed you know because by this time you know the whole world was x-files crazy and so on so do you think it would have flown better in the 80s i mean quite possibly because when it was written so that was pre-die hard that was pre sort of sylvester stallone's action career it was pre a lot of the sort of 90s action films that we think of so it probably would have been a lot more fresh and it might have had it come out around the same time as Howard the Duck and the other ones that you mentioned I imagine it probably would have done it probably would have done a lot better it's interesting the sort of what ifs with these sorts of things but then the special effects probably wouldn't have been good because I actually one of the things that I did quite like about it was the LMD which is a it's a very creepy scene when you're first introduced to it there's a very uncanny valley feel of it but it's got a very good payoff at the end there's a very good bait and switch with the LMD being used because you think you'd see Nick Fury get shot dead and it turns out it's the LMD and I thought that was really well done and i'm not entirely sure they would have been able to do that as well in 1986 but you know who knows <laughs> i don't have a filmmaking degree surely in the 80s david hasselhoff would have been away either touring with his band in germany or on location filming yeah. night rider <laughs> he'd have been jumping in his car somewhere <laughs> The other one is this character, Kate, who's the psychic. Yeah, Kate Neville is an actual S.H.I.E.L.D. character, but not a very prominent one. I was wondering about the fact that she had psychic powers, because I was thinking, other than the joke about implants, which we'll just gloss over, she has this psychic power that doesn't really get used outside of the big finale, where she is the person that gets the code out. She gets a couple of moments early on where she says the same line twice. She'll make some sort of mild observation and then go, you don't need to be an ESP agent to say that, as if they need to remind the audience, by the way, this person has 
psychic powers keep that in mind it's going to be important later on and that's basically it my guess is if the storyline it was more prominent in the original version script that got lost along the years but you know there were still lines in there saying she was psychic or that originally there might have been an X-Man in the frame well say X-Man X-Woman but that over the years they obviously didn't have the rights to anymore because you know Fox were already doing the cartoon and... uh, it's just it's really interesting looking back at this and going was that a character because I think the only character that has crossover between this and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is Von Strucker Fury appears in a couple of episodes but I think Von Strucker is the only one I can think of that certainly none of the supporting characters but you have got stuff like the LMDs and obviously Hydra and things like that but yeah it's just it was, it's fascinating to go back to speaking of which why did all the Hydra henchmen look like anemic bald versions of Hitman 47 are they clones are they LMDs or are they just all have they been given like a particular sort of fashion guide well there was a trend around them but having very bland generic henchmen and things yeah I can't figure out why apart from it might have been to do with you know because everything had a putative action figure line around then was it they were thinking in terms of you know what they call army builder figures were the kind yeah. of easily manufactured generic henchmen that nobody ever did build armies of them <laughs> but that was the idea they're like less complicated stormtroopers if that makes sense yeah you can take an agent from men in black and just shave its head and then call it a hydro goon or something the design of the helicarrier was kind of interesting because it reminded me of the red room from black widow it's kind of it's not the sort of flat thing from the MCU it is more kind of sort of cubic almost this giant flying station in the sky yes that struck me as well it isn't the fact that it's really aged that well I must say the model helicarrier yeah but you know it was what it was at the time and to be honest with you I'm like you I both think this is not even the most ridiculous film ever made it's actually quite boring for a lot of it but at the same time very very compelling and I cannot explain why and I'd like to see it dusted down and given a little bit more respect you know mentioning the films it was nearly contemporaries of there's now a blu-ray of howard the duck where it's you know it's not a great film but it's not as bad as people say it's like absolute beginners that came out almost around the same time i think people's expectations were too high for it there's a blu-ray that treats it with a lot of respect there's a red sonya one where they've at least cleaned up the print <laughs> the punisher i think is still awaiting a bit of rehabilitation as in the 1989 one i don't know what they're going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> the 2000s ones yeah that's a whole thing but, but this yeah. deserves a little bit more because it's almost impossible to get hold of it these days it and really it, is it really should be given especially now Disney presumably own the rights to it it should be given a little more prominence a little more I don't want to say respect because that would imply that people are missing out on the hidden treat now I don't think they are they're missing out on the hidden interesting curio I think is the best way of putting it but it's the one thing that is really 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 slipped down the sofa i mean even the failed tv mcu from the late 70s even those are better known than this is yeah i mean the only way i was able to watch it is because someone's uploaded it to youtube so again it's just one of these things where like everything else you know like you mentioned like howard the duck is available for you to watch on streaming services i was looking for this because there's an app called just watch where you can put in anything and it'll tell you what streaming services it's on where you can buy it that sort of thing and nick fury agent of shield is not available anywhere and that is kind of I mean they can't be that ashamed of it right I'm wondering if it's maybe just because Sam Jackson is Nick Fury and they don't want to take it away from him or maybe they're planning something like who knows maybe David Hasselhoff's Nick Fury is going to show up in Multiverse of Madness I would love that to happen and you know let's be honest there are other films bearing the Marvel brand that really are a little more deserving of someone being embarrassed by them yeah. nothing really <laughs> in the MCU I think apart from even 
even in humans, I don't think you could quite say he was as bad as the Ben Affleck Daredevil or some of the Fantastic Four films or yeah. the Nicolas Cage Ghost Riders. You know, when they really didn't have control of their own properties. But yeah. this, it does what it sets out to do, what it was always intended to do. I don't see how anyone could really be embarrassed by it. It's just a, it is just there really but not just there in the bad way like i say i watched it if you go in knowing that it's a made for tv movie and you set your expectations according to that you know i watched it twice i had a good time i was laughing at parts of it because of how ludicrous it was i mean again you have to appreciate maybe they didn't have the best budget maybe they blew it all on hasselhoff who knows but there is some kind of charm to it it's sort of it's both self-aware and not at all and i would love to see it get a new lease of life i would love to see David Hasselhoff do a cameo. I think that would be, if you want something for the proper Marvel fans, the people that listen to this podcast, the people that have an extensive knowledge of that, if you get Doctor Strange going into the multiverse and suddenly sees Hasselhoff's fury, that's how you get the people in. And then you launch it on Disney Plus the same day and go boom. And then people can go, wow, this was worse than I thought. This is the perfect film for this podcast because it is literally good, except it also sucks. <laughs> and I, can't, I think this is the trailer for the entire podcast. If you ever decide to do a big marketing campaign, just start with this one. And it is literally as if Star-Lord had been asked to direct Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. instead of Tony Stark. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of both the potential for a David Hasselhoff cameo in the MCU and the idea of being both self-aware and not at all, there's only one thing left me to ask now. I can't believe I'm asking this, given that we've almost signposted it the whole thing. David, David Hasselhoff played Nick Fury in this and also appeared as himself, revealing that he might actually be the manifestation of Ego, the Living Planet, all along in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy Volume 2. So who was best? I mean, given the song that plays at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which is surprisingly catchy and features David Hasselhoff doing a rap as much as I love this he's so good in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 at the end I know it's a very very small cameo but the fact that he was willing to do that yeah I'm gonna go with Guardians and hope that he turns up in Guardians 3 I would not be surprised David thank you and Excelsior thanks very much Tim If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.